passionate about reaching people for Jesus. They decided to move into a neighborhood where he had never lived. And he shed his coat and tie and started wearing clothes like people in that neighborhood wore. He actually shaved his head except one little piece of hair or, 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 or splotch of hair they allowed to, to grow out and then he dyed it a color so he fit in to this crazy place that he was living. And he began to, to learn the way people spoke there. And he began to change some of the food he ate because he wanted to relate. He began to know his neighbors. Now this fellow Jim ended up feeling very lonely and isolated. And he actually felt even rejected by many Christian people who criticized him for how crazy he was to go into this neighborhood, to change his clothes, to do his hair this funny way, to reach people for Christ. And yet he did work that still blesses our world today. Let me show you a picture of Jim up here on the screen, all right? This is him, James Hudson Taylor. He's a famous missionary over a century ago. You thought I was talking about some wacko kid, didn't you? This is the way he looked when he didn't dress that way because he was so passionate about reaching the people of China that that's what he did. And today there are still Christians in China because of the work of this man who knew his mission. Now every Sunday here at Landmark, we say our mission out loud, which is to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Today I want to interrupt that promo to ask an important question. Is this my mission? Is this your mission? It's one thing, it's very easy for us to gather as a church every Sunday and to say, oh, this is our mission, to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. We'll say that next week. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to own it. The question I'm asking you today, is this my mission? Again, the words are so easy to say, but putting it in life is different. So I'm asking you, and I'm going to be asking you throughout this message, is this your mission? It's not good enough for it just to be Landmark's mission. It's not good enough for it just to be the elder's mission or the staff mission or buddy's mission. That's all well and good, and we better be on that mission. But what's really important is that it become every one of our mission. Can you imagine what would happen if we woke up every day with the mission in mind that whatever we do today, there's one thing we're going to do, and that's we're going to lead people closer to Jesus. Now, looking back on the last year, we had a lot of great things happen in the year 2014. Some of the greatest things that happened were all the people who became Christians. And last year, we had 43 baptisms in this church. That, that's, that's nice. But I, I went back, I sort of broke it down for a little bit, guys. If you take out the children and the teenagers, which that's part of our mission is to lead our, 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 our children and teenagers to Christ. If you take that out, we're down to about 12 or 13 adults led to the Lord. That's saying it takes about 100 of us to lead one adult to the Lord. I don't know how you feel about that, but I don't feel that's too good. I don't feel that would be appropriate to, for a group of people on a mission. There's no reason it, for us as a church, with all God's blessed us with, with the great spirit that dwells in this church, with the power of God, that we couldn't be leading a hundred people to the Lord at least every year. But what it's going to take is this mission to get off the page of your bulletin and into your heart and into my heart. That's what it's going to take.
And today, that's what I want to talk about. How we incorporate that mission. You say, okay, buddy, that's really well and good. But, but why should I make that my mission? I mean, I don't know if that's my mission. Listen to me. If you're a Christian in this audience, at some point in your life, you decided to follow Jesus. To be a Christian says that you made your mind up, that you wanted to imitate him. You cannot imitate Jesus and not be on this mission. Did you hear that? You can't call yourself a Christian and not adopt his mission. I mean, he put it plainly. Luke 19, verse 10, he gave his mission statement. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's what Jesus was about. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, we see God's heart in the same place. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. What does God want? He wants everybody to be saved. And then before Jesus left this earth in Matthew chapter 28, he gave us that commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. He gave it to us. You say, buddy, I I don't know. I don't agree with the mission statement of this church. Listen to me. The mission statement of this church should be the mission statement of every church. I mean, you might word it differently. But, but all, all we're trying to do is restate the commission that God gave us, which is to make disciples, and we just tried to put it in some words that, that actually might connect with us better. What are we trying to do? Lead people to be disciples, to have a, not a stagnant, but a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. So here's our challenge. Our challenge is to own the mission. I love that phrase. It excites me. To own the mission, to possess it, to make it yours. Now, we understand this kind of language. Sometimes we understand it probably better in business. I looked up this article by a lady named Mary Joseph called Employees Taking Ownership, a Radical Proposal. And here's her first word. Here's the first line. If your company's employees do not have a sense of ownership and engagement, all the other steps won't make much difference. What are you saying? I don't care what you do at your workplace, what new phrases you put up, what posters you put up, what new building you go into. If you don't own the mission of where you work, no step will make a difference. And I think what I'm trying to say this morning as we begin this new year is my friends, if you and I don't own the mission, it doesn't matter what else surrounds it, it will not make a difference. You got to own the mission. And then she writes, by the same token, if you can increase the average level of engagement in your organization, you will see productivity of your entire workforce increase. What's she saying there? When people begin to own it, if you go to work and the way you look at it, okay, this is just a job for me to make money and me to get out of here as quick as I can, you know. Oh, yes, this is the uh, owner's business. This is my boss's business. She said, you know, you, you got a problem there. You got a big problem. And guys, if we come to church and, and we're thinking, okay, oh, that's, that's a neat little statement the elders came up with. That's a great idea, you know, and, and Buddy's fired up about this thing. But, but I mean, you know, let me just come to church. Let, let me stay comfortable, please, please. 
Because if we don't own the mission, then great things are not going to happen. But if we were to own the mission, can you imagine what could happen? Can you imagine what God could do? If you're taking notes, here's your first blanks. Here, here's our, our beware. Here's our warning. It's, it's what I would call the second law of spiritual dynamics. Christians left to themselves move toward self-centeredness. Did you hear that? Christians left to themselves move toward self-centeredness. Guys, listen, we are all fighting the gravitational pull of the natural man. The natural man says, you know what? I do what I want to do when I want to do it, how I want to do it. It's about me and it's about my selfishness. We got to fight that because we we become more and more self-centered. And as individuals, that's the way we live. And so the challenge for you and I is for us to be constantly reminded of the mission. That's why it needs... That's why it needs to be stated over and over again. Because I lose it. If I just say, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to do what I feel like doing. Let's do it. How would you do at work if you just did what you felt like doing? How would you do at school if you just did what you felt like doing? How would you do in leading your family and your home if you just did what you felt like doing? I wouldn't do very well. Because naturally, I just want to be selfish and do my thing. And guys, as a church, we've got to understand that same gravitational pull is working against us. As a church, we've got to be crystal clear about what our mission is. What drew me to want to be a part of this church was a group of elders that says, we want to reach lost people. That's what we want to do. Well, if we make the changes to reach lost people, I'm telling you, there's going to be some people that are going to leave Landmark. I predicted that. It was true. But I'll never forget what those elders said to me. That's all right. We don't want to lose them. But if we as a church don't start reaching lost people, who's going to reach lost people? They're just going to go to another church and be fine. Are we get, and, and it's that kind of crystal clear mission that we must reestablish as a church because the selfish gravitational pull takes us somewhere else. Rick Warren did a survey in his book, The Purpose Driven Church. And here's what he came up with. When you ask people what the purpose of the church is, 89% of us said, it's to take care of my needs and those of my family. Only 11% said it was to win the world for Jesus Christ. Only 11%. Are you in that 11%, I ask you? There's another book out by George Barna called Evangelism That Works. And he asked this question about our church. Do people own evangelism as the heartbeat of the church? And he asked the question in a different words. Have people caught a vision for reaching non-believers that gives the church definition, energy, and direction? You see, guys, when we catch this vision, it determines what we do and what we don't do. It gives us definition, energy. It gives us a reason to live. It gives us a reason to come here on Sunday mornings. It gives us a reason to walk out of here with a life to live for Jesus Christ. Now, here's what he says. These are his words, not mine. He concludes. If not, the organization is not truly a church but simply a group of people intrigued by religion. 
So let's be honest. Let's have a little confession. Let's admit, at least in our own heart, are we experiencing mission drift? Is this mission become my mission? Is this vision, mission become your mission? Do, can you say, I own it? Well, let's do this. Let's revisit the mission. Go with me to John chapter 19. I, I call this the, the forgotten commission. We're, we're pretty familiar with Matthew's great commission and Mark's, but we're less familiar with John's. And I think he puts it in some words that could really help us this morning. John chapter 19, he, he appears in a room with a bunch of fearful disciples. Look at verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, the interesting words here, the word here for fear, it, it takes, it has with it the idea of flight. They're so afraid, they're, 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 they're willing to run. Can you imagine? They're in this room, the door's deadbolt locked. There's a chair against the knob. They've already taken and killed Jesus. What they're wondering is, when are they coming after us? They're scared to death. And all of a sudden, Jesus appears. He didn't even come through the door. He just appears. Uh, every time I read this, I have this crazy thought. You'll bear with me for a moment. Anybody remember the old, story, the old TV show, Bewitched? Anybody remember who used to come through the walls? Aunt Clara? <laughs> she wasn't real good, was she? <laughs> she normally bumped into the walls more than she came through them. I'm telling you, Jesus didn't bump any walls. He just showed up. And the first words he says to these guys are shocking. You might not have noticed them. Peace be with you. I would, I would expect his first words to be, where were you guys when I needed you? When I was on trial, when I was crucified, and you ran? That's not what he says to these guys who are scared to death. Peace be with you. Look at verse 20. After this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. It finally hit them. Maybe they didn't believe the women who came from the tomb, but now they believe he has resurrected. This is his body. And then watch it. Here's the climax of the book of John. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Listen, my friends. Forty times in the Gospels, Jesus says, the Father sent me. The Father sent me. Now he says to his disciples that are gathered here. It's more gathered here than just apostles. It's his disciples. He says to them, the Father sent me. Hey, here's the cool deal. I am now in the same sense sending you. And here's, here's a really cool verse. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Boy, that is a reflection of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. When God breathed into man and he became a living soul. Here in John chapter uh, 20, Jesus breathes on his apostles and they become the living body of Jesus Christ. They receive the Holy Spirit. Comes the total fruition in Acts chapter 2. 
but starts right here when Jesus breathes on them the Holy Spirit. And then he says something really curious that's hard to understand. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What in the world does that mean? We'll talk about that in a moment. But first of all, let me give you, let me start giving you four points. What happens here? First of all, Jesus accepts us. What I noticed here in this passage is he doesn't scold them. He doesn't put them on a guilt trip. And this morning, I know this is a sermon that could put you on a guilt trip. Because I don't know anybody, including myself, who could say, I'm evangelistic enough. Okay, that's just the truth. And and some of the most guilt-ridden sermons I've ever preached or heard have been on this topic. And and that's not the approach I want today. I don't think that was Jesus' approach here. I mean, sometimes we get guilty. It's like, man, I, I got to go share my faith so, so I don't go to hell. <laughs> Isn't that a crazy motivation? No, 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 no. That, that's not good. I and mean, we're not putting on, Jesus doesn't say, boy, you guys blew it. Where were you? I'm so disappointed in you. He says peace. It, it's literally a, mer- a word that means all good to you. I want everything good for you. Here's the cool deal. Even if you don't deserve it. They didn't deserve it. Not at this point. But that's what Jesus does. He accepts them. You see, here's our greatest obstacle. Write this down. Our greatest obstacle is fear. We have a fear of being rejected. And so we get behind closed doors. And we lock the door. And we're desperate because of the condition of our world And we're afraid. But listen to me, my friends. Too many of us are living like we're on the wrong side of the resurrection. We're living like he's still dead. Afraid in the room and afraid what's going to happen to us next. That's not how Jesus lived. And that's not how he wanted his disciples to live. And that's why he starts off not by scolding them or guilt-tripping them, by accepting them. And I'm telling you, for you and I to be bold in sharing our faith, we've got to first feel the acceptance of God. You've got to know, despite the fact that you don't deserve it, despite the fact you may have blown it, you have been accepted by God into his family. You have been saved by his grace. And it's off that foundation that we can go accept people that look different than us, that dress different than us, that come from different economic backgrounds and different races. We are willing to accept all. They may come with different sin issues than we do. Maybe their sin issue is cocaine, or their sin issue is drunkenness, or their sin issue has been adultery, or fornication, or their sin issue has been same-sex attraction. Whatever it may be, we're the group of people because we've been accepted by Christ. We are emboldened and empowered to accept people where they are and to help them to change. But it all starts, guys, with us hearing those words from Jesus. I I don't know what's been going on in your life and how crazy it was, but but I want you to have peace. The the word literally comes from words that meant to put unbroken, to to put broken pieces back together. All of us are broken, and all of us are being put back together by him. So that's the first thing he does. The second thing he does is Jesus commissions us. I love this thing. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. 
What an amazing thing to close out his ministry on this earth. Okay, guys, you know I've been sent by God. I've told you that over and over. And now here's what I'm doing. I'm taking the keys out of my pocket, and I'm handing the keys over to you. You go out on this mission. Because here's our greatest example of how we do this. It's Jesus. How did Jesus take the Father's commissioning of him? He was obedient. I ask you, are you going to be obedient to God as he hands the commission to you? Jesus came this earth. He didn't set himself up in the temple and say, come to me if you want to hear the truth. I'll give it to you. He took the initiative and he went out. But not only did he go out and teach it, he went out and he lived it. What made Jesus so extremely powerful is he began to do it and to teach it. He began to declare it and to demonstrate it. He began to show it and tell it. Because that's what can change your life. Maybe you got a sin issue. Maybe you're a gossip at work. Maybe you got a language issue. Maybe your attitude doesn't display Jesus. I'm telling you what can change it is when you go to that workplace on a mission for God, representing Him. If I listen to the way the Apostle Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I love these words. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, look with me at verse 18 through 20, and just listen to the way Paul puts it. He says, from now on, we regard, excuse me, let me give this here, this, verse 18. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the message and the ministry of reconciliation. And God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Is that good news? Oh, you guys must not be awake this morning. Uh, not counting people's sins against them. Is that good news? You guys got any sins? Are you glad it doesn't count against you? Every time I read that verse, I think about the old cartoon. It's everybody lined up in the judgment seat of God. It's a long line. And all of a sudden, about midway, there's a roar of people clapping. And the people in the back yell to the folks clapping, What are you so excited about? And they turn back and they say, He's not counting Wednesday nights. Well, listen to me. He's doing a lot better than just not counting Wednesday nights. He's not counting your sins. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? He's not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Did you hear that, guys? We are his ambassadors. We represent him on the earth. That's the commission we've been given. We follow Jesus' footsteps. I love it. I'll tell you what, guys. Jesus, I'm about to leave this earth. But I don't want this movement to stop. So here's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm, I'm handing it over to you. Father sent me. I'm sending you. Go for it. Now, here's, now you think, why does Jesus have confidence in this group of ragtag men? And they wouldn't even stand up for him at the cross. And now he's meeting up with them. They got the door deadbolt locked and they're scared to death. And he's giving it over to them. You got to be kidding me. And here's the next, here's the key point. Jesus equips them. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Where is his confidence? He doesn't believe they are so capable. They're not, neither are you, neither am I. His confidence is they're going to be equipped and empowered by the Holy Spirit. 
Guys, our greatest power is the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus can leave this mission and be confident it can happen because we don't do it by ourselves. I love this story. It's of the great Paderewski. He was a, a great pianist from Poland. And there was a mother who was really interested in his, her son learning to play the piano well. He knew a few little things, but not much. And so she took him to this concert where the great Paderewski was going to play. And, and when she got there, they sat down, and she saw a friend, so she got up from her seat and went and visited with her friend. And when she came back, her boy, her little boy wasn't beside her, and right then the curtain was drawn, and there was that grand piano, and there was her little boy. And he begins to play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Stars. And everybody's so embarrassed, she's so embarrassed, she doesn't know what to do. And then the great Paderewski came from behind the stage, and he whispered in the boy's ear, keep playing. And he sat beside him, and he put his hands around him, and he began to play the bass part. He began to play the upper part. And as the little boy played Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Stars, he turned it into something magnificent. What could have been an embarrassing situation turned into something wonderful and a blessing. And listen, when God gave us this mission, it could be embarrassing, let's be honest, because none of us have it together. It could be very embarrassing, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, it can become beautiful because He is going to equip us. Let me just tell you a few things the Holy Spirit will do for you. Let me give you a list. Here's what the Holy Spirit will do. Now, now let me say this before I get here. You're not going to experience this unless you stretch yourself. God doesn't have to do these things in your life if you won't put yourself out there on this mission. I know in my life, I've experienced this when I put myself in uncomfortable positions saying, I'm walking in this building and I'm going to pray for God to give me somebody to tell about Jesus. Here's what he'll do for you. He'll give you words to say. He'll convict the people around you of sin. He'll convict people even with a hard heart. He'll give you focus to your prayers. He'll give you Christ-like qualities that will attract people, and He'll give you gifts to fulfill the mission. Isn't that awesome? So why is He confident? Because He's given us the Holy Spirit. One more point here. Jesus inspires us, and this is that weird verse. If you forgive anyone's sins, I don't, the word enemies is wrong up there. I don't know how that got there. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What is that about? Well, we know from Mark chapter 2, verse 7, that no man can forgive sins. So what's Jesus saying here? We have been given the privilege not to forgive people's sins, but to preach a message that forgives people's sin. We have been given such a privilege, and that's to proclaim the forgiveness of sins. And yes, people's response of either accepting or rejecting that will determine whether their sins are forgiven or not. What Jesus is trying to say here is I want you to understand the ramifications of this mission I've given you. There are few among us who've been overseas to war. You've been to Iraq. You've been to Afghanistan. And, you know, for you to be on that mission, you needed to understand the ramifications of what you were doing. And for us, what we must do is we must understand the ramifications of what we are doing. 
We are proclaiming a new life. We are proclaiming forgiveness of sins. There's nothing that thrills me more than to be a part of seeing that light bulb come on with somebody when they understand just how messed up they are and just how good God is. Just a few weeks ago, Joe and you and, and Fuller, we walked out of that one-on-one class because you, you got it. I saw the light bulb come on. And you walked right down here immediately and said, just like in the New Testament, I want to be baptized. I want to know my sins are forgiven. That is so awesome. And I want every one of us to be able to experience that feeling of sharing our faith and impacting someone. Last Sunday, I was given a gift by Kyle Mosley. Kyle is a, a young man who started coming to Landmark with the Edwards family. And a few months ago, Kyle started talking to me about his faith and about becoming a Christian, baptizing about a month ago. And last Sunday, he brought me this, this piece of wood with this cross on it. God, I love that. And I love, I think Kyle understands what's happened to him. And while I've been studying for this message the last few days, I've kept this right in front of me thinking, man, I want to I meet another Kyle Mosley. I want another chance to tell somebody about how amazing Jesus and his grace is. And he says to us, guys, we've got the inspiration because we've got the message. It's not like God's told us to go out like he told Isaiah and go share condemnation. He's told you and I to go out and share forgiveness. And that's our greatest motivation, that people can be forgiven just the way we have. So I ask you one more time this morning, is this your mission? Do you own the mission I don't know how to, I don't know quite how to get this across. But I do believe this is paramount for you and for the future of this church. We got to own it. It can't be my mission. It can't be the elder's mission. It can't be the staff. It's got to be our mission. If you're looking for a church, we don't want you just to come here just to be a part of this church. We want you to come here to join a mission. If not, it really is not where you belong. Because the mission defines and gives energy to everything they do, that we do. And I wish to God I had the words right now for you to take me seriously. I wish I had the words that we would own the mission. I will promise you this. I may not do much this year, but there is one thing I will do. I will put every bit of energy I've got in reestablishing the mission of this church. I will be relentless. And you can be offended at me, you can be mad at me, you can be uncomfortable. But I've I've asked myself all week long, can you say this? Yes, you can say this. Because it's absolutely the truth of Scripture. And the future of Christianity is dependent on not, not us having nice, sweet little churches where we meet our needs and take care of our children. It is dependent on us understanding the mission of God and owning the mission. And the frank truth is many of us have lost the mission.
And we need to go back and we need to hear the words of Jesus all over again. I do. I confess to you. I do. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Will you walk out of this building a sent person, a missionary? When it comes to reaching this world, when it comes to Mission Sunday coming up, are we on a mission to reach our neighborhood, our friends, our world for Jesus Christ? We must, we must reestablish the mission. But it does no good for us to reestablish the mission for the church if it doesn't happen in your heart, in my heart. Can we say, I own, I possess, it's mine, it's my mission. Let's just pray together. God, we, um, ah, Lord, I want to say the right words because I know that statement about how self-centeredness comes into our lives so easily. And, and, And it's just natural. It's the natural man. We're fighting it with the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Oh, we'd just be blowing smoke today. But Lord, I I know, especially when it comes to something that we are as uncomfortable with as sharing our faith, that we have this mission drift. We do it as individuals. I'm afraid we've done it as a church. And God, today, I pray with everything within me, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would start by convicting us about the mission. It would change the way we come to church. It would change the way we work. It would change our family. It would change our interaction in our neighborhood. It would change the way we interact with the cashier at the 7-Eleven or the waiter at the restaurant, Lord. God, give us the mission. Help us to receive the mission. Help us to accept the mission. Oh, God, may I be bold enough to ask you to help us to own the mission. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, if we need to pray for you specifically, if today you're ready to embrace Jesus and get on this mission, if you're bored stiff with life, despite the fact you got plenty of things and you got lots of things and you're very busy, but you're not living life on a mission, you're just living it for you, just living it for your family, just having a nice little time, but you're not on a bold mission and your life is a little bit boring, quite frankly, and you want to join this mission, you want us to pray for you before you get out of here, why don't you come right now while we stand together? together and sing.